Welcome to the Vital Conversations podcast. We are broadcasting from the intersection of Christian faith and society. This podcast aims to inform and motivate people of faith on issues of social justice and concern. I'm your host, Jared Cunningham. Let's get started. Back in part three, A Journey Through Grace, I mentioned I had to leave out part five due to editing problems. So here it is today, part five, glorifying grace or life after this life. And so what we've been talking about up to this point is what life looks like as a follower of Jesus. And the goal of all of this is that you and I would walk in the world in such a way that we walk in the way that Jesus walked. And so we begin to live our life as Jesus lived his life towards others and towards this world. And so at this point, we've, we've really made it to the end of the road. And we're going to talk this morning about one of humanity's greatest fears, death. Which should make for a really exciting 20 minutes or so to come. Right, this ranks up there with public speaking as people's top fears, the thing that they worry about the most. And, and maybe it's not death, but maybe it's the dying process. But for all of us, that brings up a bunch of fear and stuff within us. Uh, but that's part of life's journey. And so this morning, I want us to look at that. Um, and, and I want us to think about uh, what they often say are those two most certain things in life, taxes and death, right? And so I want to look at two questions as we begin to think about that. The first question I want to talk about today is, is what does life after this life look like? And the second thing I want to ask is, since we who are in this room are still alive, what impact does an understanding or a concept of heaven have for us in this life, in the present moment, in our present life? So we'll, we'll talk about those two questions this morning. And what we'll do is we'll get at what Wesley was talking about, about what it looks like and how we land safe on that happy shore that we call heaven. Uh, and to get at that, I'd like to share a story uh, from my own life when, when I had just become a Christian and I had gone to college uh, and I got connected with a group of other Christians on campus. And I can't really remember what that group was about or what their name was. Uh, but one of the things that I was told that we were going to be doing this coming week was on Friday night, we were going to um, gather up these little paper thing called tracks, and we were going to go down uh, to the Virginia Beach oceanfront to the boardwalk. Uh, and what we were going to do was we were going to go find people to talk to God about. And I was like, hey, that sounds like a lot of fun, and I think that's something we should do as Christians. I'm new at this. I'm in. What I didn't know, and maybe they didn't tell me ahead of time, was that what we were going to do was we were going to go late on Friday night when people were kind of lined up at the bars and trying to get in or trying to get into the next one. And we were going to uh, confront the people who were in line, and we were going to talk to them about God. Right? And the papers that they gave us, these little tracks, if you don't know what that is, it's like a little piece of paper, and it's got uh, information and scripture in there. It talks about Jesus, talks about life and, and salvation and those kind of things. But the particular one that they gave me to give out uh, had a really great uh, question, a really great conversation starter on the front. And the thought was I could use this track to, and this question as a great conversation starter with these folks who were standing in line waiting to get into the next bar or club 
late on a Friday night. And the question was this, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Now, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great conversation starter, right? It doesn't imply anything about the other person. It makes no judgment about their life or, or what they're doing. It seems to assume, you know, if you died tonight from, you know, like alcohol poisoning, because would you go to heaven? You know, I love that question because it's dialogical and it's it's open, and someone would just say, oh, yeah, let's talk about that while I wait in line. Like, I was new to this thing called faith. I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned that night that that didn't work for me. But I learned something about it. I learned something about how to talk to people of faith, and, I, and I'm thankful for that, that evening uh, because in some ways it showed me a way that, that didn't resonate with, with me about how to share the gospel. And I don't want to stand here and say that that way can't work or doesn't work or never works because for some that may have been kind of a, a moment, a line in the sand where they realize, I don't know and I'd like to find out. My experience has always been that faith is best shared over relationship, uh, a relationship that shows that I really care about you and you care about me and we're going to live life together. I think that's probably a lot harder to do, but it seems in my experience to produce better long-term results for someone to grow in a life of faith. And so while I don't uh, go down to downtown Orlando and join in the group that kind of has the bullhorn and try to like shout at people who are out there going to the clubs at nighttime, What I have found is that there is a question that is part of Christianity and the modern faith in the Western world. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And something about that question has always stuck with me and it's always bothered me. And I found out and kind of learned that that question has bothered a lot of other people too. What I learned is that if you were to ask the authors of the New Testament, those who wrote the letters to the churches, If you were to kind of ask the New Testament as a whole that question and say, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? The authors of the New Testament would be very confused by that question. In fact, they might say, no, I don't think so. Or they might just kind of look at us with kind of a confused look to think, where is this question coming from and how does it even make sense? Maybe it'll surprise you to hear this morning that the scriptures, Jesus in particular, really do not talk much about heaven. In fact, as we read the scriptures, one thing that we realize that Jesus was really concerned about was how we spend our money and what we put our money towards. He talked a lot about how we handle money. He seemed to talk a great deal about how we interact with our neighbor He seemed to get really concerned with matters of justice and people who were left out of systems or who were looked down on because something about them was different. He didn't talk much about heaven and what happens after we die. And so the question that we think is a great conversation starter is really not how Jesus started the conversation. It really wasn't a question that made much sense to those early writers. The idea of What happens when we die and do we immediately just go right to heaven was kind of a foreign concept in those times. But the scriptures do talk about heaven and they do talk about what happens when we die. It just sounds a little different than kind of our modern framing of that particular question. 
revelation which we heard says that the, the revelation that John has is, is he says he saw he says I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now, let me kind of pause there as uh, and give you a, a code word there. New Jerusalem and Revelation was kind of written in code because the those who were that letter was going towards were living under Roman rule. And they couldn't just talk about their faith. And so they had to use code words so that they could share the message. New Jerusalem is code word for the people of God. The people of God. So he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And the image that I get when I hear this and the image that John conveys is the image of a wedding. So I'd love for you this morning to think about the last wedding that you attended, maybe or were a part of. And if you've been to a wedding, these things tend to go the same, right? Everyone kind of files in, and it's probably the one uh, group gathering place where everybody tries to sit as far forward as possible, right? Like everybody tries to fill in these seats first, because at a wedding, you want the best, the closest seat, uh, you know that things are about to get exciting because all of a sudden, uh, at least at this wedding, the groom and the groomsmen all file out and begin to line up. Right? And the unbalance of that, of seeing the, the, the groom and then all his guys kind of headed this way, is you realize, of course, that there's someone missing on this side over here. And so the music is playing, and, and all of a sudden you see from the back someone come in, and, and the flower girl begins to make her way down the aisle. Uh, and, and the flower girl, it's clear to us, is paving the way for someone else to come, right? The ring bearer is the next one to come down, and uh, they know that they have an important job, and they've got the pillow and the ring, and we just don't tell them that it's a fake ring, because if they drop it and lose it, the whole ceremony would be off, Right? But they make their way down and they've got the ring. And that little symbol is a reminder to us that something significant and important and life-changing is happening on this day. The bridesmaids will file in and everybody's watching them from the back. And then eventually the music changes. And we just instinctively know that when the music shifts that we all stand up and all of a sudden, we're not looking at the front, right? Every one of us turns and looks backwards. Except the mother of the groom who's watching the groom to see their reaction, right? Everyone else turns backwards because who's coming in at that point? The bride. And the bride is making their way from the back of the sanctuary down to the front. And every eye becomes focused on her. And, and John, I'm sure the wedding practices then were just a little bit different than ours, but John gives us this image of the bride as a way of seeing what heaven looks like and what the end looks like. And what it tells us that everything is moving to a purpose, everything about the planning and the coming together of a wedding, everything about those who've entered and come in and played different roles is leading to a point. And so once again, we're being reminded that everything in this world, in history, and in our lives is moving to a culminating point. That God has a plan and he's bringing it all together. And so the scripture tells us that when we get to the end of the world as we know it, that all the people of God will be gathered together in such a way and that every eye will watch with joy as Jesus, as a bride, makes his way down back to earth. 
so hopefully, as you can begin to see, the picture that the Bible paints is not that when we die, we go to heaven and that everything around us will one day basically burn up and pass away and then heaven kind of happens on this separate spiritual plane. The picture the Bible gives us is that heaven comes back to earth. And that challenges the little Bible track that I gave out that night or tried to start a conversation with. But it reminds us of Jesus who, when God sent Jesus into the world, God sent his son into the world to be a part of it. And just like at a wedding, this moment for this particular couple is not the end, but it's the beginning of a whole new journey and a whole new life for them. In some ways, the the old things of their life separate have passed away and, and new things and new life will begin for them. In the same way at the end of time, that old things will begin to pass away, but that God will be doing new things at the same time too. That life after this life will continue. But that kind of leaves some questions for us of my first question of, well then, <laughs> with that question, what happens when I die? Right? What happens maybe to me personally? And much of this is a mystery because the New Testament doesn't speak to it and we can kind of make up things or make up things that I would like or that you would like. But as followers of Christ, we try to place our faith and our understanding in, in the re- revelation of God. The best word that I can ascribe to it is what we experience is a kind of soul rest, a rest for our souls. And Scripture speaks to this, and it tells us that when we die, our souls are at rest with God. And what I'm going to talk about is not a purgatory-type experience where we're trying to work off the bad things that we've done. What I'm talking about is that when we die, we experience a rest with God. And I think one of the issues that we have with this, or maybe one of the struggles is that so much of what we're conditioned to think of as heaven is someplace beyond these clouds, right? Uh, My five, now six-year-old, asked the other day, where is heaven? And it's really hard to explain to someone, like, she's like, is it above the clouds? And we're like, well, sort of. And she's like, well, I learned about the solar system. Is it like in the solar system? We're like, well, there's like a spiritual dimension to the world, and there's different, that's really, fortunately, she saw something else and got distracted. That's... (laughs) That's a really tough, that's a tough conversation for us as adults to figure out. And so much of this is a mystery to us, and it becomes hard to explain. So it's given us as, as a people in the world through generations to think of heaven as a physical place, even if we can't see it. And so what I'd like to encourage you to do this morning is to think of heaven less as this place with these physical golden gates and like little chunky baby angels that play harps, right? That's kind of the picture that we have of it. So I'd like to encourage you to think of it maybe less of that, and I'd like to offer you what I believe is a little more comforting picture. Think of it more as being present in the presence of God. Less of a place and more of being with God. And quite honestly, that is hard to explain. In the short time we have together this morning, I won't do it justice. But what it means for us is that when we die, our souls are carried into the presence of God to find rest and healing and to be awake to the full love and care of God. So maybe instead of asking, what will I do when I get to heaven? As some of us may have thought, like, do we just kind of like wander around, like say hi to friends, 
I mean, catch up with like historical figures. Like all those are things that we kind of think about. Like what will we do when we get to heaven? That's maybe an interesting question, but I'd like to offer a better one that I think carries us closer to scriptures. A better thing to ask is what kind of rest would I, or what kind of rest would you look forward to when you cross that finish line of life and enter into the rest of God? Because it speaks of a place where tears are wiped away and death is defeated. Where there is no mourning or crying or pain, not because it's stuffed down and hidden, but because it's healed by God. The suffering and the pain that we know in this world and see around us on a daily basis is gone. And so in the space of your mind, what would heaven look like for you? I think for each of us it might be different, but it might be something about not having to experience anxiety or fear, or insecurity, or pain, whether internal or external, uncertainty, guilt, loneliness, feeling unloved. I mean, name name for yourself that deep core place where you've been hurt or experienced hurt or pain. And what we find is that when heaven meets earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the tears that we've cried, the pain that we've known, the suffering we experienced will be completely transformed and healed in the presence of God. And personally, I'm much more excited about that experience than trying to figure out where do I wander around and what do I do in heaven and why are all these little babies with wings and and harps like floating around and playing them, right? I think when we get too stuck on heaven as a physical location, what does it look like? We miss the real promise of God, which is it's a place where our soul can rest until God brings the entire world to its final completion, the final plan, and everything and everyone comes to a place where we are healed and restored. And as we've been talking about, where God brings back that original situation in the Bible, in the garden when God could freely walk with humanity and be in relationship with them. And so in a lot of ways, that picture in the Bible before everything went wrong of humanity in the garden with God in a perfect relationship is what God is bringing everything back towards at the end. And so why would God burn it all up and throw it all away when God could redeem it instead? So if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? I guess it depends on how you define that. We could ask instead, if you died tonight, would you want to rest in God's presence in such a way that there'd be no more mourning or crying or pain? And I would say, sign me up for that. And I think if I was to go back with that question to the Virginia Beach boardwalk and to ask someone in line that question, I think that might be a better conversation starter. It at least might take the conversation a little farther than shutting it down immediately because it comes from a place not of judgment but of invitation. An invitation to the potential of a life that could be in God's presence. And it might just show someone else that we don't condemn them to hell before we even get to know them and then try to convince them, no, I really do care about you. I think this gives us a better place to start the conversation. So for those of us who are here this morning, and uh, as one of my favorite movies, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I'm not dead yet, right? And you're not dead yet. 
So what does that mean for those of us who are still here? Well, Paul takes us and gives us a great explanation. And so uh, as we begin to kind of wrap this up in this sermon series up, I'd like to take us over to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing a letter to the people of Philippi. And he's writing to a small community of believers who are living in the city of Philippi. And now Philippi is, is an important city. It's significant in its region and in who it is. And it's a Roman colony. And it's proud to be a Roman colony. And the citizens of Philippi are proud to be Roman citizens because that gives them rights and privileges. And it allows them to kind of stand out and, and to, in some ways, kind of be up here in the civilization at that time. And so Philippi is proud to be that. And these Christians, these Roman citizens of Philippi who were living there at the time, are trying to figure out how do we live our faith for Jesus who calls for our allegiance in a land where the emperor also calls for our allegiance. And so he writes this letter to encourage them about how to live. And he begins to end his letter by saying, Our citizenship is in heaven. We look forward to a Savior that comes from there. So again, the idea that heaven comes down to earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our humble body so that they'll be like his glorious body by the power that also makes him able to subject all things to himself. And just as we talked about these humble bodies that we live in now, these humble bodies with all of their problems and, and challenges and stresses and, and all those things that we need help and healing from, will one day be transformed into that glorious body in the image of Jesus. And so what this does, of course, is paints that picture for us that in heaven there is this new uh, and glorious body. But it also calls us to live in such a way that we experience that now. Uh, N.T. Wright makes the point here that for these Roman citizens who are living in the empire, that no one in Rome ever expected that when a Roman citizen retired, that they would move back to Rome. There wasn't an expectation that, that you live in the colony of Philippi and when you retire, you can move back to the home city. No, they didn't want them back. They didn't want their citizens back. They wanted their citizens out in the world because they wanted them to share and to spread the culture and the values and the beliefs of Rome as far as they could. And we know this from history class. Rome wanted to expand and push its borders as far as possible. And so when he calls them citizens of heaven, what he's reminding them is that our goal is not so much thinking about what happens when we die, but living our life in such a way that we bring the culture not of Rome, but of heaven to earth. So our job as believers is to bring the culture of heaven to earth. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we'll do in just a moment, we pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Again, may the kingdom of God come to earth as it is on heaven. May the values, the hope, the healing, the compassion of heaven come down as a bride comes down the aisle into this world in such a way where every eye is fixated on that because we see the plan that God has for all of time. And perhaps the most daring part of this prayer is that we are asking God 
to do that work through us. We are asking God, Lord, help me to live as a citizen of heaven and to be a vessel that shares the culture of heaven with those around me. And we know how challenging that is, right? So our challenge as citizens of heaven who are living on this side of eternity is to share the life of heaven on earth. We can offer the life of heaven as we try to build genuine relationships with people that don't say, look, it's obvious to me because you're standing in line at a bar that you're going to hell. (laughs) I mean, let's be clear. (laughs) But instead, build a relationship in such a way where we recognize that we are both two humans coming into this experience together, and we try to get to know someone and to share life with them together. Because in doing that, we model the love of Jesus who came to earth and didn't tell us all, wow, you guys are really messed up. Like, (laughs) you're all going to hell. Let me help you out. Jesus took time to get to know the individuals. And so often in the Bible, it says that he was moved with compassion when he saw someone, not judgment. He was moved to compassion. So we offer the life of heaven whenever we work for justice or the inclusion of all people and for healing and for hope. So in a sense, what the scriptures challenge us to do is to live our life in such a way where we model the life of heaven in our work, in our life, in our home, in our neighborhoods. 